God. And uh, everyone has something different about their ministry that uh, God uses. But uh, somehow behind the spirit of this man comes out the word of God in such a wonderful way as to complement the ministry in general and to summarize it. Thank God. I would like for Brother Tenney to come. He's going to speak on Occupy till he comes. He uh, may take the liberty, as Brother Sabin said he would last night, to just sort of shoot all over the tree. That was wonderful, wasn't it? Thank God. Well, you have to be free and free indeed when you're preaching on prophecy. You, you, you just got to feel after the Lord. He might have you say something different the next few minutes than you just was planning on. Thank God. Brother Tinney, come to us today. Thank you, Brother Trace. And will you stand for the reading of the Word of God? And I trust that we are bringing our Bibles. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Good. I don't know particularly what version you may have. I read recently where a tremendous scholar asked which one of the virgins in the scripture was the mother of Jesus, the Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin. <laughs> we hear quite a bit of discussion today about various versions of the scripture. I prefer for study and ministry the tried, tested, and true King James version of the scriptures, though like you, I do occasionally study other versions and find them quite interesting. However, it was this version that led me to this truth many years ago and uh, I still like it. Amen. Are you happy in the Lord today? Are you excited about what you feel in the atmosphere? It was the responsibility of my colleague, Brother Saban, last evening to cause you to look up, and he did a tremendous job. He gave you the perpendicular look up. It's my responsibility this morning to give you the horizontal version outwardly. For while we are looking up in anticipation, we must look out and remember that he decreed occupy till I come. It's not time yet for us to occupy the New Jerusalem. So the word occupy means that we are tied to a piece of geography somewhere. And while we are interested in filling outer space with saints, we must not forget the surrounding space and the inner space of our own heart that needs to be evangelized today. Luke chapter 19, the 19th division of the gospel according to Dr. Luke. Luke 19, beginning with verse 11. Verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. And because they thought, everybody say thought. Everybody say, I think. They thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. I hope we are broad-minded enough to know that some of us are only thinking. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. May God add his needed blessings to the reading of his word and all of his children said amen. amen. You may be seated. The parable of the pounds. A certain man 
immediately identified as the Lord Jesus, went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. There is an undetermined time bracket between the going forth of the nobleman and his return. But during this ensuing period, he left to his ten servants certain pounds and a certain command. Not knowing the day nor the hour I will return, remember this, occupy till I come. Not when this was spoken. The Bible tells us in verse 11 that it was spoken as he came nigh to Jerusalem. That's the when. And somehow I feel that we speak today as we too are coming nigh to Jerusalem. Not the earthly Jerusalem, but something within me tells me with great anticipation that ere long we shall see that city called the New Jerusalem. So I think it's an appropriate time that we discuss this subject. We are coming nigh Jerusalem. Not only when was it spoken, but why was it spoken? The reason for this parable is this. They thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And since that was their frame of mind, he wanted to set their thinking aright. He wanted them to have this air of expectancy of the eminence uh, appearing of their Lord. But he also wanted them to remember this. Regardless of how close you think we are to Jerusalem, and regardless of how heavenly, kingdom-minded you might be, Occupy till I come. And we are here today on the very raw edge with nerve ends exposed of the coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. I believe in the second corporal, physical, imminent return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that return is near. However, I do not want to forget while this Jerusalem spirit and this heavenly kingdom mindedness pervades the atmosphere that he has still commanded us to occupy till I come. Don't let up. Now, the word occupy is not like an occupy card that you put in the seat of an airliner when you temporarily leave it. But just, I come, I sit, I stay, I wait. But the word occupy, as used here, means to trade in commerce. To be productive with what I have given you. First of all, he says, I deposit it in you. And then you take it and get gain with it for me. Something has first got to happen in you, inwardly, before anything can happen with what I have given you outwardly. In essence, he is saying, I did not give you this pound to wrap in a napkin and to keep for yourself, but I meant for you to take it to the marketplace and be productive with it until the day I come back. that will cause my blessing to descend upon you when I come back is the fact that you have utilized the pound that I have given to you while I am gone. Now every man was to take the capital, put in his hands, and put it in circulation. Please remember that. We have today an attitude and all of us occasionally feel it, of get us out of this mess philosophy. 
you know, please hurry up and come, Jesus. And really, it's not that I want to see you so bad, Lord, but I want to get out of here. You know, it looked like the coming of the Lord would be the solution to so many church problems. Coming of the Lord would be so many, it would be the solution to so many um, under-deposited check accounts. You know, the coming of the Lord would help us so much with the ensuing mortgage and with our future. And it's a get us out of this mess philosophy. Well, I don't think that Jesus meant for that to be the prime motivation. When he said, occupy till I come. Not just simply, I want to get out of here. And we're, we're living at such a breakneck speed. One man said, I'm so busy until I'm booked up clean through the rapture and into the tribulation. And we, you know, we, we feel this pressure. When, Lord, are you going to come? Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. The apostles asked the same thing. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, hey, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. And I've heard preachers say that the Father's put in his own hands, but it doesn't say that. Times are the seasons that the Father's put in his own power. Now there are some powers that are retained by God in his hand to be released at his sovereign time. And his coming is one of those powers. When he will come is totally in the hands of God. In the power of his hands. The Father has put it in his power. Well, if Acts 1 and 7 is God's power, and we can speculate which we will, and we can hope which we will, is there any power given to us? Ah, Jesus said, now we're talking. Remember this. You're off in a corner saying, will the Father restore the kingdom at this time? Remember, fellas, Acts 1 and 7, the times and seasons are in the Father's power. And he'll release it when he'll release it. But if you want to know what power is yours, I'll tell you. The next verse, verse 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you. And it's not power to get in a corner and speculate. Well, Lord, why have you given us power? And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the power that's given to us to occupy till he comes. That's the primary responsibility of the church today. Oh, I'm looking forward to his coming and we're to live in that air of expectancy, but we must reckon with the fact that the time and season is in his power. But we are to take the power that's given us and occupy till he comes. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are some powers that are his, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children to do and obey. I do not want to get caught up in eschatology and its attendant intrigue until I forget. See, this is such an interesting subject and I'm so glad we're having this conference. But when I leave here, I don't want to forget that we are sent to a harvest field. And I know the night is coming, but we must not forget that he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while yet it is day. The night is coming. And we emphasize that oftentimes, but I really believe Jesus was emphasizing while yet it is day, while yet it is day, while yet it is day. The night of the tribulation is coming, but yet it is day. The earth is gonna reel and rock like a drunkard, but yet it is day. The heaven's gonna roll up like a 
cold, but yet it is day. The elements are going to melt with a fervent heat, but hallelujah, yet it is day. And I am privileged to occupy until he comes. That is my responsibility. You know, we have some tremendous examples in history of individuals who got so carried away with the thought of his coming until they failed to go into the field and labor. Date setters. You ever read after any of the date setters? Church history, the first date setters that we have record of was in the first century where a group of Christians fled into the desert of Egypt to sit down in the wilderness and await the coming of the Lord. And they would weave rugs. And history says as they were weaving the rugs, they would say, he will come before I finish weaving this mat. And when they got through weaving it and he hadn't come, they said, we're going to unweave what we've done. And he will come before we get the mat unwoven. So one day they would weave a mat. And when he didn't come, the next day they would unweave it. And the next day they would weave it. And the next day they would unweave it, waiting prayerfully for Jesus to come. And finally, some among them realized that Jesus would come when he would come and not a moment before. And they got the idea. They said, hey, let's take these mats that we have woven in the desert and go to the marketplace in the villages and sell them. And while we are selling them, we can witness to our faith. And they did it. There was a group that got that idea, we're going to not just unweave them, we're going to take what we have done to the marketplace and sell them, and while we're selling them as an occupation, we're going to tell of the goodness of Jesus and his power to save. So we've got basic types of Christians. We've got the weavers and the unweavers. And the weavers focus their attention and praying on the figure of Jesus who is coming on a great cloud with power. And we've got the marketers that have as their model the Son of God plunging himself into human existence, putting the cross in the marketplace, and leading men to him. And while we do weave our mats of eschatology and last day things. We do know that somebody might unweave them tomorrow. For we shall probably have several mats woven before we leave here only for someone to find the end of the string and pull them apart. Did anybody ever find the ravel of a doctrine and keep pulling? A certain thing, you know, one fella said, we've got pre-mill believers and mid-mill and post-mill and windmill, and all they do is blow hot air. <laughs> but while we are weaving and unweaving, we must not forget that we have been left with a responsibility to go to the marketplace with this beautiful message and put it in commerce until the very day he returns. During one of the European wars, the Duke of Wellington gave one of his generals an order. And immediately after giving him the order, his general looked at him and said, Duke, I question this order on this premise and he began to tell him his give him his rationale and the duke stopped him and he said sir I did not ask for your opinion I gave you an order and while we may have many opinions about prophetic subjects there is one order that we all agree on. Occupy till I come. 
For there is a world that is latent and lost that waits to fall like overripe fruit into the hands of a church. And I want to be found in the harvest field when he comes. Although we may be interested in establishing some second coming due line to detect the earliest possible moment of the coming of the Lord, we must always remember that his coming is in his power. And he will come when he will come. And I guess the most perplexing question to all of us is when? When, Lord? One man says scripturally and truly so, there's a climax of building. Someone else says we're living in the terminal generation. And this is the rapture era. And I say amen. And someone else says dramatically, it's going to come without warning. And that's true. And someone else asks, not only when will it come, but how will it come? And we speculate on how the resurrection's going to take place. And will it be before, during, after the tribulation? But again, the central thing that the nobleman left us with was occupy till I come. That's the horizontal. Right. Of course, many of you will remember our late beloved brother Arthur T. Morgan, general superintendent for many years, in a conference in the United Pentecostal Church, no less somewhere between the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean several years ago. In a district conference, a resolution was introduced to put in our manual when Jesus would come. And brother Morgan in his own unique way, simply said, he was chairing the meeting, he said, brethren, you can put anything you want to in the UPC manual, but I must tell you that I seriously doubt if Jesus will read our manual to see if he can come or not. But one thing I know, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. One thing I know, this same Jesus which was taken from you shall come again. And I believe it. You know, Time Magazine recently noted that eschatologists both sacred and profane they said seem to be merely cashing in on collective fear I don't want us to ever do that if we're speculating let's say we're speculating you know one fellow said years ago that people used to say when they preached all preachers every denomination used to say the Bible says and I like that uh, if we're going to say anything, let's say the Bible says. And then he said, we got to the place where we said the church says. He said, finally today we're scratching our head and saying it seems to me. <laughs> well, uh, gentlemen, if it seems to me, let's say it seems to me. But if the Bible says, then the Bible says. We have always had date setters. Approximately 150 AD, a man by the name of Montanus and two ladies, Maximilius and Priscilla, for seven consecutive years gave the exact date that the Lord was coming and went and pointed out the very spot the New Jerusalem was coming down and kept the church in an uproar for seven years. When he didn't come on that date, that year they said, we missed it, one year he'll come. And for seven years, 150 AD, they were already setting dates. In 200 AD in Carthage, a man claimed to have seen the holy city coming down out of heaven. And that same man is the first historical proponent of the Trinity. <laughs> I don't think he saw either. <laughs> in Carthage, in 250 AD, 
a Cyprian, spoke and said this, who cannot see that the world is already in decline? And no longer does the world have the strength or the vigor of former times. Days are not like they once were. Everything is approaching its end and is going to wither away. We are rushing to our doom. 1981, Brother Tenney? No, 250 A.D. In 700 A.D. in Scotland, a monk named Adamnan thought and prophesied that surely the book was going to be closed in his time. A Franciscan monk named Jehoiakim decreed that 260 AD was the year something was going to happen and he kept, he was a very influential monk, he kept all of then Christendom in suspense and excitement watching instead of working. I hope you're understanding what I am saying. It was in Holland in the year 1533 that Melcher Huffman announced the second coming of the Lord for that year, he said. And all of Europe was in a turmoil, the year of 1533, because Jesus is coming. Huffman said he was. He will come when he will come. Yes. Nicholas of Cusa in Italy said the world would not outlast 1734. And the Millerites, Mr. William Miller. You know who the Millerites are. And New England said it would have to be in 1843. Couldn't last any longer. Pastor Russell and the Russellites preached that the 6,000 years of man's existence on earth ended in 1872. Well, then they adjusted it to 1874. And that after 1874, the saints would enter into 40 years of jubilee, during which the consecrated ones, these 40 years from 74 forward, would be harvested, and on October the 1st, 1914, the end would come. It didn't. It hasn't. And then they always have to make adjustments. You know, one group said, well, and he did come that year, but he came and cleansed the temple, sanctuary. Not calling names. I could tell you about the gentleman who rented Queen's Hall in London and said on June the 24th, 1934, he's coming and he had all of England in an uproar. And they got to watching and quit working. None other than Dr. Billy Graham said in 1949, the world will not last 20 more years. And in 1969, he said, I was wrong. Obviously so. Granis, Arkansas, 1976. Remember that? They got pregnant with truth and said the gestation period was nine months. And at the end of nine months, they were going to bring forth and it'd be the coming of the Lord. And yea, they sit till this day. I don't mean to be rated X. I guess it was a perpetual pregnancy. <laughs> and they got on a hill, you know, and said, we're just going to stay here. He never did mean for us to go into monasteries and, and, and closed orders and just wait and stay occupied till I come. Oh! Jesus Christ pointed upward to God. It pointed downward, firmly planted in truth. But two arms of it were outward to a lost and dying world that needed to be embraced by its message. Yes, yes, yes. Occupy till I come. I could even tell you of Jesus named Pentecostal preachers whose name have been revered, who published tracts in the 30s given the date. I could tell you about one whose name is a household word, who in the late 1920s took several carloads of saints to the Atlantic Ocean and said when they got there and their wheels touched the water that the Atlantic was going to open up dry ground and they were going to drive to the old Jerusalem and when they hit the city limits of the old Jerusalem the new was going to come down and the Lord was going to come. 
The ocean did not part and they did run out of gas. And most of those doctrines do. Gentlemen and ladies, I don't know when, but I do know in my heart there is a resident blessed hope that Jesus Christ will come when he will come. And until he comes, it's occupy. Take what you have and put it to work. But I, I, I do think we need to settle that. He is coming. And I personally believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And if you don't, I have two questions. And if you can answer them, you have your answer. Number one, do you believe the rapture can take place any day? Number two, are you looking for and ready for Christ's coming? And isn't anyone who answers these questions, yes, really, a pre-tribulationist rapture at heart? Because watchfulness and readiness are the two conditions. And to be ready, we've got to occupy till he comes. And there's signs of his coming everywhere. I mean, I can't explain them all because I've tried to and failed. I was in Lewiston, Maine and picked up the paper and read where the Japanese were spending millions of dollars to rebuild ancient Babylon. And that rang a bell. Are are they actually going to rebuild ancient Babylon? They might. Does it mean anything? It could. In the fall of last year, I drove past the new synagogue that's being built in Jerusalem. Is this the temple? I don't know. Could it be? Maybe. January 1 of this year, Greece became the 10th nation. Does this 10 nation common market mean something? I'm sure it does. However, in in 1982, Portugal and Spain will come in. However, according to some, we're not going to be here in 82 because that's the Jupiter year. And the planets are going to line up and we're all going to be gone. You know, we we, we hear these things and we cipher through. But remember, whatever we say must have a Bible base. And we hear of the buzzards over the valley of Armageddon. Are they there? Are they not? I don't know, but someday they're going to be there. And we hear quite a bit of talk about computers. One man says that the computer is actually the beast, and he's in Brussels or Luxembourg. Well, if I'm sure computers will play a part, but if the computer is the beast, he's an anti-feminist computer because the Bible said he has no desire for women. And we see, as you will be taught, the alignment of the nations, Gog and Magog, the northern confederacy, and regardless of whether you think the Ethiopia mentioned in Ezekiel is that one in Arabia or that one in uh, Africa, strange things are happening in the alignment of nations. We read in the book Revelation that one-third of the life of the sea will be destroyed. Did you ever read that? One third of the life of the sea. I heard with my own ears a few weeks ago a dissertation. A French scientist was very upset over poisonous gas that had been dumped in the South Sea after World War II by the United States government to get rid of it. Those canisters of poisonous gas are now leaking and the French who control some protectorates in the South Pacific say that 10% of the sea life has already been destroyed in that area and it's just started leaking. And when the full leakage comes out, it could destroy a third of the sea life. And of course, we wonder. We hear of neutron bombs and the number 666 the return of Israel to their native land. We see the stage being set for one world currency and the Antichrist and all of these things do tell us. They tell us something. The Bible spoke in the last days that there would be false Christ, that there would be false apostles, that there would be false 
prophets, that there would be false teachers. Paul even said there'd be false brethren. Days of fallacy. And these are upon us, but what should our attitude be? Uh, Peter told us, seeing all of these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? In all manner. Watch your manners. What should our end time lifestyles be? We had people in our part of the country many years ago were so excited about the coming of the Lord till when they put down new fence posts. They just cut off green saplings and stuck them in the ground and said, this will last till Jesus comes. But it didn't. And we laugh at that. But today, are we caught up in materialism? To the point that we think he's never coming. For every one man that can stand prosperity, I'll show you a hundred that can take adversity. We can stand adversity better than we can stand prosperity. And Jesus said of the last days, take heed that your hearts become not overcharged with suffering and the cares of this life. And that day come on you unaware. What manner of persons ought we to be? And he goes on down to say, hastening to the coming of the Lord. We ought to be hastening everywhere. Our last day lifestyle should be one of hastening, not to gather material things. Not to stack up dollars and gain a prestige and, and, and houses and lands. Uh, we, we talk about worldliness, but worldliness is more than smoking and drinking and cussing and dipping and chewing and going to the show. We can get caught up with the worldly materialistic spirit that's rampant in our world today. What manner of persons are we to be? The magnificent obsession of our heart should be occupied till I come. Do my work. Let the zeal of my house and my burden motivate you and drive you. You know, in this parable, and incidentally, this wasn't the parable of the talents. The talents refer to inward gifts. The pounds refer to taking advantage of our opportunities. And occupying till he comes means are we taking advantage of every opportunity to make his name known? Because he said out of thine own mouth, my friend, am I going to judge you? There was one man when he came back that was so proud of what he had done. Are we occupying... Are we taking advantage of every opportunity? What golden opportunities God has given the United Pentecostal Church? Yes. You see, you can't put your hands into yesterday to do what was then neglected. Neither can you sow seeds in the future. But we can occupy today. Are we really honestly before God as we sit in this prophecy conference in the light of his coming, the raw edge of expectancy? Are we taking advantage in our cities of every opportunity to make his name known and to proclaim this truth? It's upon that premise that they were judged. There was a man that was so proud he didn't squander his pound, but he did seek a substitute for it. And really he sought a substitute for obedience. And I want you to hear me, and I don't want to be misunderstood in the next two minutes. There is no substitute for obedience. And this man unwrapped his pound out of a napkin and said, here it is, I've kept it. There is a possibility of being good without being good for anything 
there's a possibility of keeping it clean and being proud of it but not being productive he opened it and the very fact that it was polished showed how little he had used it he said it's clean I've kept it clean and I must commend him for that but although it was insulated isolated it was unproductive and could it be that we get so busy in maintenance until we forget production do you know Jesus placed a curse on this man can a man be clean but lost What are you talking about, Brother Tenney? We should be clean. We should be holy. God's given us a beautiful truth of holiness that we want to protect. But I don't think that he meant for us just to wrap it in a napkin and keep it all to ourselves. There's a difference in being insulated and isolated. He didn't mean for us to get into monasteries and pull the doors in around us and unwrap it someday and say, here it is. He wants to know if we're productive. Are we risking anything? Are we trafficking in the daily commerce of life? Are we doing it? I don't want to be clean but lost. When I stand at the judgment, I don't want to unwrap my Holy Ghost and say, here it is, Lord. How long you had it? Well, so far, 32 years. Go give it back to you, just like you gave it. Here's my Jesus name, baptism. Here's my holiness. What did you do with it? Amen. I didn't give it to you for you just to dissipate on yourself. I said, occupy till I come. That's what I expected you to do. Last year, 50 years of tradition in the United States House of Representatives was slowly and insignificantly put to death. Annually on George Washington's birthday for the last 50 years in the U.S. House of Representatives, George Washington's farewell address has been read. Last year they ceased that custom because nobody was coming anymore. And it was being read to an empty chamber. So they decided just not to talk about it any longer. And I wonder if we are failing to read our commander-in-chief's founder of our nation's farewell address. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I feel that in this prophecy conference, I need to reiterate that. That when we leave here, possibly raising more questions than we answer, having been blessed by fellowship and invigorated with the hope of his coming, let us leave here knowing that we must occupy, work, labor, not get in a desert and weave and unweave our theology and I close with this the date was May the 19th 1780 May 19 1780 the place Hartford Connecticut the revolutionary war is on something strange happened that day it was a meteorological meteorological or some type of phenomena of astronomy we don't know what but darkness came at noon history records it not having the expertise that we do today they did not know why May 19 1780 flew chickens roosted the day was brought to an end when the sun was at its zenith panic broke out across New England People fought and screamed in the streets that the world had come to an end. At Hartford, the state legislature 
both houses, representatives and senate, was in session. The lower house, the House of Representatives, broke up in alarm so that the members of the house could prepare for judgment day. In the state senate, a motion of adjournment was made so that the senators too could meet the day of judgment with whatever courage they could manage to summon. Suddenly a man by the name of Abraham Davenport stood up and he said, Mr. Speaker, I oppose the motion. Mr. Davenport was a friend and advisor of George Washington. He faced the panic of a world about to end with the best heart and head because he said this to his colleagues. I am against adjournment. I'm against the motion. And here is my logic. The day of judgment, he said, is either approaching or it is not approaching. If it is not approaching, then there's no cause for adjournment. If it is approaching, I choose to be found doing my duty the minute it gets here. I would therefore move, Mr. Speaker, that the couriers be asked to bring out candles and let us continue. I would therefore, Mr. Chairman, move yes, sir. that we go back to our respected places of abode, bring out the candles, and let us continue. Occupy till I come. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, carry on. Until the day my eyes behold that city. Discussion. There are microphones at the end of each aisle on each side. We would ask you to please use the microphone. If you have a question now you would like to direct to the speaker, please make your way forward and use one of these microphones. All right. Who has a question or a comment, something you'd like to say about this occupying till he comes? Amen, amen. Usually these times uh, start out a little slow and uh, then after it gets started you have quite a time getting it stopped. Uh, please come to the microphone, brother. Thank you. And uh, 
there is someone else that has a question, maybe you could come to the microphone also to save the time. Your questions will be answered by the speaker. All right, please direct your question to, to Brother, Brother Tenney. Well, first of all, Brother, I'm scared to death. Uh, now, this was all sincere to Brother Tenney. You know, we've got people going around preaching the message of prosperity. Now, I thought you preached a, a beautiful message, yeah. and I'll agree with you. Sure. Uh, what do we supposed to be doing during the while we're occupied? I mean, is it is it to answer win souls, or is it taking that pound? and put it to work and multiplying, does it have reference to money, in other words? Because you, knew, you do know we have people that are they're taking the scripture and saying, uh, would that you prosper as your soul prospereth? And then we do know that the scripture teaches that you cannot serve two masters mammon and the Lord and so I would like for you to if you will just to go on in that little deeper very good Thank you. good very good, good question. all right did you all hear the question is it coming through all right if you heard the question would you wave your hand a little bit I want to be sure it's going out fine all right, now we'll get this one ready for Brother Tenney. All right, a parable, a parable, as you know, is a temporal, expressive sequence, story, whatever you want to call it, that has a spiritual connotation. He used the uh, terminology pound or talents. Uh, you could affix many things to it. But if it was money... I don't think that he was necessarily saying, you go take the money you've got and make more money. Now, God may bless a person financially yes. as an aside, as that person blesses the cause of God. But it is more than money. It's ever opportunity or ever talent that affords itself to you. What are you doing with what God has given you? That is stewardship. I don't think that it's relegated to one particular area. And as far as the prosperity doctrine, if that means that everybody is going to be rich, you see, that doctrine is spawned in affluent North America. I've been around the world several times and some of the finest, most gallant Christians I've ever seen earn an average of $100 a year. And if the prosperity doctrine is that we're all going to be rich if we'll live for God is true in North America, it's true universally. Yes, sir. And it just doesn't work that way. God gives certain people certain talents at his own sovereign will. He said there are apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. We've all got different areas that we work in. I really believe that there are individuals that God has set aside because he can trust and he likes to bless where his reputation's safe, that he has blessed them financially that they might bless the cause of God. All right. But that may not be what God has said that I'm to do. And if we judge ourselves among ourselves, we're not wise. God has set aside certain preachers as what could I say? Specialist in certain areas. But that doesn't mean we're all supposed to do that. Right. Uh, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12 give, lists uh, the gifts of the Spirit. There are a diversity of gifts, but they're all from one Spirit. So we can't overlook the sovereignty of God. I believe God means for us to take what we've got, our talents, our ability, our money, our everything and utilize it as good stewards with one sole criteria, am I doing this to the glory of God? Great. And whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Amen. 
I know that's very general, but that's just about the best I can do. Praise the Lord. All right. Total commitment. Thank God. All right. Another question. Comment. Very good. These times of questions and answers are so valuable. Take advantage of it. If you have a question, make your way forward to the microphone. Here comes the brother right here. All right. If there is another, please make your way forward and we'll be ready for you right after this question. All right. Test the microphone there, brother, first and see if it's on. All right. Uh, I've had this question asked me before, and I just I would like to uh, have another opinion on it. In occupying till he comes, uh, what would you say would be the uh, frame of mind the occupant should be in? Are, are we uh, uh, selling ourselves in, into being uh, too short-ranged in our uh, line of thinking in our organization, or, or are we, should we say that well, we should just plan for a year and occupy for that year, or should we can uh, uh, continue on to say well, uh, you know, we may be here 50 years or 30 years or 100 years. Should we go ahead and be broad-minded in our uh, organization and planning of our ministries and our churches and our occupying? Well. I think that we need a total program, both long range and short range. Uh, for instance, you do that when you buy a home. We don't have any question about this when we buy a home. You may take a mortgage for 30 years. You may not pay on it for another year. Uh, but we have, uh, we have committed ourselves to a mortgage for a 30 year period. Uh, in the natural sense, knowing that Jesus may come within the next year. Uh, if we actually knew he would come within the next year, we probably wouldn't even have made the mortgage. Uh, sometimes it would be a convenient arrangement if we were unable to preach or testify above the level that we're living. For instance, yesterday was uh, the 201st birthday of Patrick Henry's famous speech where he said, give me liberty or give me death. And we like that. It makes our blood run red. But whenever Patrick Henry made that statement, he owned 38 slaves. <laughs> so I, I think that we need short-term plans and long-term plans. Live as if he was coming today, work as if he wasn't coming for a hundred years. Good. So sure, as an organization, we started out on Quest, and we said we're going to do this this year, and this the next year, and here we are in the third year having a Quest Prophecy Conference. But we knew when we laid that out, he might come in 30 days. And I really think Jesus Christ had only three and a half years of ministry to launch the greatest enterprise that man has ever known, the church of the living God. Yes, and he gave short time service to a long time commitment. And some of us may, may do that. So I really think in answer to the question, we need both. We need the intensity of he may come today, but the longevity of it may not be for a year, two years, who knows. But we're going to lay out our plans and work and labor, and whatever we're doing, we're going to be in the vineyard when he comes. Amen. Praise Again, that's the best I can do. Praise the Lord. All right, another question. Could I ask one to Yes, sir. Brother Urshan, please. Brother Tenney's message was so good. Last night's message made us so conscious. Uh, throughout this whole conference, we'll get a consciousness of the kind of time we're living in, which I think is important to the church, to all of us, individually and collectively. Brother Broadway touched on an aspect which I felt was very vital to us. Now, this is not a loaded question, Brother Tenney, and it's not a, uh, it's not a question that's asked for the sake of uh, criticism toward others. 
it's a question that we ask for the sake of being prepared. Should we, as ministers of the gospel, involve ourselves in a lot of business and finance when we've been called to preach the gospel? Praise the Lord. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. And when it gets to the place that it is an entanglement, where it's demanding your thought energies, your time, your, your priorities get inverted, All right. My God. then it's very dangerous. I do not trust, now I'll just talk about myself, I don't trust T.F. Tenney enough to get him involved in anything above preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know what else should have priority. And I, I know that uh, there are times in starting new works that are continuing existing work that a man has to work. We understand that. I don't think that's what Brother Urshel's no, talking about. What he's talking about is deliberately from a sense of covetousness and materialism, spending a lot of time and money and energy and extracurricular activity. Uh, all of us have seen the detriment of this. Really, I don't think anything ought to have priority to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are working, your main goal should be the day when I don't have to work anymore. And I can give my time to my church or to my ministry. And I do believe the devil is wise enough to open up what he could call beautiful doors of opportunity to very talented men to siphon off some of their energies. I have seen that happen. And somebody said it's legitimate. I'm going to do it. I could give some telling examples, but it would be too personal. And you would identify with individuals, so I will refrain. But I have seen striking examples of men that started out with a good motive. I'm going to make money so I can put it in the church. And I'm not saying that that is never proper, but I have seen striking examples of that becoming an open door. The book of Proverbs has something to say about these get-rich-quick gimmicks. A good study of the book of Proverbs would help all of us. Brother Urshan, in my opinion, there is a danger in this area. And especially if we're in the closing days of time like we believe we are, where should our priorities be? Really? Right. I think that was illustrated in Brother Urshan's scripture reading last night. Be careful lest surfeiting, cares of life, these things overcharges. There's someone at the mic there, Brother McFarland. All right. One more question. Praise the Lord. Uh, I have a question for Brother Tenney. Uh, if you're a housewife with small children at home, how can you witness for Jesus? Or should your husband be the one that take the you know lead in doing this? Um, or should you just try, you know, how can you work in some time to do this witnessing when you have children too? All right. After today. Uh, that's a very sincere question, and I want to answer it sincerely. Uh, again, let me quote uh, Brother Arthur T. Morgan years ago in a church that he pastored, which happened to be in hometown where I lived. There was a lady that had six children, and she was constantly coming to him wanting to preach. <laughs> and she was frustrated because she said she wanted to preach. She said, I want to do something for the Lord. I want to do something for the Lord. And he said, well, finally, I just pointed to her six kids on the pew, and I said, sister, there's six things you can do for God. 
Raising a family is not a subordinate ministry. One of the greatest things that a lady can do today, a mother, is to rear her children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that is a ministry. I would that the women, first of all, be keepers at home. You are witnessing. You are helping. There will be times when your children are at school that you can partake of your church's activities and other things. But don't let the enemy back you into a corner and make you think that because you're confined to a house with children that that's no ministry. That, in this society, is one of the greatest ministries in the world. Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Let us stand and thank God for this session.